0: Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Formatted to Fit Your Screen, the show where two people who have seen a movie have a conversation. Except on this episode, that's not the case at all. This is our Christmas Spectacular, and I'm joined by not one, not two, but three guests on this episode. I am joined by the Garys from Saskatoon, a three-piece rock band comprised of Julie, Erica, and Lenore Meyer to talk about 1989's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, directed by Jeremiah Chechik. The Garys are one of my favorite bands. They just, in September, released their fourth record, Get Thee To A Nunnery, which is currently available on streaming and for sale on Bandcamp. So I was very excited to have the Garys on to talk not only about the movie, but about uh, recording, some of their film influences in their music, and a variety of other topics. This episode was a ton of fun. To keep up to date with everything going on in the Garys universe, you can follow them on Instagram at the Garys Band to find information about upcoming shows in Saskatchewan, Alberta, New York, Sweden, and more. And if you're enjoying this show, you can follow us on social media at formattedtofit on Instagram and Twitter, Please join me at the end of the episode, and I'll let you know what to expect for our New Year's Eve spectacular. I'm really, really throwing the word spectacular around lightly these days. I'm doing a New Year's thing, so please do join me and I'll let you know about that. But for now, please enjoy 1989's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation with the Garys. I'm
1: Debbie Cooper in St. John. Here and now is on a little later than usual tonight to accommodate a CBC
2: movie presentation of Jingle All The Way.
0: So we are here today talking to not one but three guests. We are here with the Garys today with... Erica, Julie, and Lenore Meyer. And the Garys are a three-piece rock combo based out of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Um, does anyone want to take the lead in telling the audience a little bit about yourselves?
3: Uh, sure. Yeah, we're um, we're sisters, and uh, we've been playing together for about six years, kind of in this sort of structure we're in now, um, on and off Like growing up, there was music to be played between different pairings of us and whatnot. But um, yeah, now we kind of we've been playing in this format um, as for about six years. And sometimes our brother plays with us too. His name is Matthew. Um, Yeah, we I think we just started out for fun um, as a. It actually was at a fundraiser for Girls Rock Camp, and it's kind of developed into something a little bit. bigger than that like I would say it's just all of our biggest side hustle sort of so we all have full-time jobs and uh we're all you know this is our big hobby on the side and it's super fun and challenges us and yeah it's so far so good we just released a new album at the end of September called Get Thee To A Nunnery that's our fourth no our right fourth full-length album yeah and uh yeah we're really excited about it Thanks for having us on here, Zach. We're excited about this. This is one of our favorite Christmas movies. So <laughs> Yeah, thank
1: you. This is nice
3: to yeah.
0: be here. Oh, yes, of course. Um, yeah, I kind of sort of jumped the gun there, jumped right into it. Um, I can give you an opportunity to introduce yourselves, or I can introduce you, um, starting with the oldest. So, Lenore, you're on drums. Uh, do you want to say a little hello to the...
1: Hi, yeah, I'm uh, the oldest of this trio. Uh, there's lots of uh, kids in our family, so I'm only the oldest when I, when we're talking in the Gary's context. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I play the drums, and um, it's great to be here.
0: See, well, that was an interesting, um, <laughs> that was, like, news to me, because I know all three of you, to some varying degree but none of you overly all that well. And I thought that there was just three of you at first, and then I found out that there was more, and then I found out that there seems to be plenty. (laughs) It seems like there's just a ton. It's
1: it's funny because I don't know if I'll, like, ever get sick of, like, um, that sort of classic, like, what? Your family's that big? What? Like, you know, it still kind of humors me even now because it really shocks some people or i don't know it's just not as common you know especially nowadays so it's kind of like something that makes our family unique now where maybe 50 60 70 years ago it would have been more normal Mm -hmm. to have really big families but um yeah it's a bit of an anomaly nowadays anyway
0: it must make it easier though when you do have to bring in other instrumentalists, or if you want to have new members, you do have like a deep bench of people to be pulling from. So that's <laughs> gonna make it easier.
1: Yeah, like we don't actually know anybody in the Saskatoon music scene. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, next up on bass we have Julie. If you have Hello. anything, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, my name's Julie. I play the bass. I am uh, a middle child amongst many middle children, and uh, the middle Gary, and the, are you the Gary. You're the
0: true center? Is that what you're saying?
2: Uh, Definitely, yes. The bass is the foundation of the band, well, that, obviously.
0: That's very, yeah, holding it down in the middle. I kind of, <laughs> I can see that. Uh, and then Erica, you were speaking up top there, but you are on guitar and then keys as well a little bit, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I play guitar, and we all sing, too. I'm the youngest in... The band and the whole family. I guess I'm the the baby of the whole Meyer clan.
2: <laughs> the baby.
0: Um, and I do have some more questions about that, but I'll leave those for a little bit later on and we can get into the movie discussion a bit. So, yes, this is going to be our Christmas special on this show. Um, this is coming out just before Christmas, so this is kind of like a Gary Christmas spectacular on <laughs> Formatted to Fit. Wow and
2: very special episode
0: (laughs) it is a very special episode this is the is the first time i've had uh more than one guest on i guess as well so this is special in a few different ways um and you also and we can also get into this later as well but put out i think my favorite album of this year so it is a bit of a christmas gift to me that you came on the show um but we're here to talk about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation from 1989, starring Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo, written by John Hughes and directed by Jeremiah Chechik, a native of uh, Montreal, Quebec, Canada, where I'm recording from today. Um, This is a Christmas classic for a lot of people. I'm guessing this was a Christmas classic in your family growing up.
2: Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. We always had the VHS kicking around at Christmas time every I, year. I think there's probably no other movie that's
1: been played more in the Meyer home.
3: I would object to that, but it's in the really? top three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What other ones? Uh, Spice World and Lion King, and then Christmas Well, Vacation. no, I'm not.
1: We're not asking what shows you watched in your room. You're a little <laughs> I, I still stand. <laughs> I mean, by that. like, okay this is that's for another podcast but i mean like there's it's like the only movie that like the family would watch like the family didn't watch spice world that was you, you know?
2: <laughs> I don't know. what about
0: what about other christmas movies are there other christmas movies that come close or is it just completely this one for your family
2: uh we used to have like a bunch of christmas movies that were like taped off the television that we used to watch every year um Mickey Mouse's Christmas Carol comes mm-hmm. to mind, yeah. one we used to watch over and over. Um, there was a Garfield Christmas special that might have been on the same tape. We used to watch that one a lot. Mm-hmm.
0: With the same so, premise, the exact same Christmas Carol story, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. No, the Garfield one, It's uh, it's got its own unique story about, uh, they go to the farm, they go to like John's parents' farm, and they bring Garfield and Odie, and they have a good old-fashioned family Christmas down on the farm. There's a song about it. <laughs> and then uh the plot is like Odie is trying really hard to make a special gift for Garfield and Garfield is like fantasizing about all these presents he's going to get. He's going to get, but he like learns the true meaning of Christmas from Odie basically. That's my memory of it.
0: Mm -hmm. I can see Garfield on a farm. I can see that leading to a lot of, like, sort of fish out of water. Like, I can see the farm not being a place that Garfield would want to spend too much time.
1: Yeah, he kind of gets at the stink eye at first, thinking it's, like, really lame and kind of hillbilly. And then he sort of, like, comes around. Not to spoil it for anyone, but... He kind of comes a, for,
0: a forty-nine-year-old, <laughs> yeah, half-hour cartoon special. <laughs> yeah.
2: But yeah, he comes. You around. You know, it's going to have a heartwarming ending, of course. Very. So you can guess how it'll end. Erica and I, we
1: remember when we sang that theme song on CFCR that one time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we um, we went on to what was it called, The Wonder Years, with Kevin mcguigan Scott, and Luke, Luke uh, Panic. They have former
0: it. guest on the show, Luke Pennick. Oh
3: wow! Oh nice. <laughs>
1: Uh, they had, like, a Christmas thing for the Wonder Years that was, like, an all-day affair, I think, and we came on and, like, played these kind of fake characters, farm girls, and then we sang that the Christmas theme song from the Garfield movie. So we, like, learned how to harmonize it and, <laughs> and play it on guitar and stuff. <laughs>
0: I wasn't sure at first when you started saying that if you were still talking about the Garfield special or if you meant the theme from this movie. No,
1: sorry, we should talk about the actual reason why we sung, sung
0: by Mavis Staples, which I didn't realize until watching the credits on this viewing. And then uh. also, also something that I saw in the credits that I thought um, might be of interest to the three of you in some capacity... The composer of the score for this movie is Angelo Badalamenti, best known for his collaborations with David Lynch and, like, Twin Peaks and stuff like that. Wow. Mm. He did the score for this, and then I was reading the IMDb trivia, and it said that this was a deliberate decision by Jeremiah Chechik, the director, to go outside the box and pick someone who you wouldn't expect for, like, a goofy Christmas comedy Really? And then as I was re-watching it earlier today, he really seems like he's phoning it in. It really seems like a guy <laughs> doing like a bad comedy score.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that the score is not memorable in my head at all. Like, it's not why I love this movie. No. Um, I definitely remember the theme song, like the opening credit theme song. That That's
0: one. really good. Right. Yeah, but, but then... It
2: has like a wonderful opening sequence with like the cartoon Santa trying to get in the chimney. And then I also remember like a song that's in like the middle of the movie when they're shopping, but that's like about all. Yeah, I, I think remember that's all. Music.
1: Mostly like supervision, though, you know, which is something kind of different.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: that's interesting. I didn't didn't know, but maybe maybe that's what he wanted. Maybe he was trying to go so left field that no,
3: <laughs> I don't know. Like I I actually think I really liked a lot of the the I don't know I guess soundtrack stuff that'd be in the background there's a lot of like really <laughs> i don't know like deep percussive sounds that make a sound like like everything is like a joke or like stuff is falling apart sort of in a way that i think works really well with the movie and like yeah, the mu- music supervision on top of it too. There's like a lot of great songs on top of those too, like Melly, Kiki Maka" and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Like oh, yeah. I, when I was thinking about this movie today, like prior to coming to this meeting here, I was like, wow, the music in that movie is like one of my favorite parts. Like all of it. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's like um, it's a movie that as soon as like the opening credits start, because it's got this sort of opening kind of uh, whatever you call it montage animated thing that happens. In conjunction with the song, um, as soon as like it just begins, it's like feel good time. As soon as you press play, you know.
0: I definitely had that experience this morning cuz like I put it on and that song just starts blaring like oh I'm watching this movie again it's just like a Pavlovian thing. <laughs> right. It's just totally... like t- it's like I know exactly what's about to totally. happen Where I'm going. Yeah.
1: It just like settles you into a feeling that is like almost more important than like what actually happens in the movie sometimes or something.
3: I like this this movie I feel like even like scene cuts where it goes from like dialogue into a song like a lot of those scene cuts, I know them so well that I know like the starting note of the song. <laughs> so I watched mm-hmm. them like so many times, and they just like the way that I don't know. It's like such a flip flop between two scenes using like the music part of it too. Or that yeah, I it's just very memorable for me personally.
0: <laughs> a question that I had here, um, based on again like my viewing of it this morning. Do you have anyone in your family, extended family, and you don't have to get into specifics, who, like, <laughs> like, reminds you of Chevy Chase in this movie? Like, or in the other films in this franchise, but, like, do you have a relative who really fits this kind of character? I
1: thought you were going to say, do you have a relative like Cousin Eddie? <laughs> I thought that too. Oh, Or
0: one like that, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um... I don't know what you guys think, but this might be kind of a cliche answer, but I think our dad is very much like Chevy Chase. Totally.
2: I think he's, like, he's, like, the stand-in for, like, the every man, every dad, you know? Yeah. That's part of what makes his character, the character of Clark Griswold, that's part of what makes him great, because he's trying to do right by his family and have these memories, but he just always keeps messing it up. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, also, too, like, with the other, um, sort of, National Lampoon's vacation movies, like, you know, where he's like, a uh, husband and wife are on this sort of, like, um, they have this sort of goal to, like, take their kids on to, like, the best family vacation ever, no matter what happens, you know? <laughs> and uh, it, and I, I think that, like, our parents were, like, they dragged us all around Western Canada in the big van doing that exact same thing on several occasions, and it was often, like, really, uh, probably pretty, like, stressful and crappy <laughs> for them. It was, like, <laughs> awesome for us, but, like, looking back, it's, like... I can I can see those, like, same instances happening. Um, and also with, like, when all the family always comes to our parents' house, including, like, extended family and, like, close friends and stuff on Christmas. So our house really explodes into, like, this, like, real kind of chaos zone at Christmas time. And it's, like, every room you go in, there's going to be something, like, weird happening. And you never really know who you're going to bump into and stuff. And so I think that our dad is, like, very much representative or chevy chase a representative of our dad in that situation
3: yeah and something i want to add to that too is like even though like i don't know in all the vacation movies chevy chase is sort of like yeah trying his best but then like really unfortunate little things like fall apart and (laughs) through it all though he's like pretty positive until he gets to like a tipping point but i would say that like with our dad (laughs) like a comparison is that even on the times when we were on these like family vacations where like I don't know the van broke down on the highway or something like based on my our parents like I don't know their attitudes like you wouldn't think that we were in such dire straits. they were like still pretty positive about it overall. so I would say yeah. that's probably why he kind of reminds me of Chevy Chase's character <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: And he's he kind of also has this especially when you look at him with mom and like the the dynamic of our parents together. He does have this sort of, like, quality that is, like he, like, he likes to be kind of, like, silly and sort of maybe act dumber than he is sometimes, you know? Like, he's not dumb mm-hmm. at all, of course, but he likes to sometimes be, like, you know, like, pretend he's, like, really dumb sometimes. And it's, like... This well,
0: that that's... Yeah, that's kind of the reason that I asked at first was because like my dad I don't see a ton of in like the sort like he's not the goofy or like he's not wearing like a funny tie on Christmas like kind of guy like he's very much not that but I do have and I won't get into extensive detail but like a male relative in my family who is 100% I think looks like Chevy Mm -hmm. Chase I think has like this exact entire persona and so it just hits so incredibly close to home watching these movies specifically um yeah. just this like kind of like christmas core i feel like this movie predicted <laughs> like sort of like the christmas core culture that's really taken over now but like adults who are obsessed about these like little details and planning a perfect christmas
1: right like a thousand mm-hmm. christmas lights on the on the roof and stuff like that yeah Clark
2: yeah. griswold he didn't even have instagram so like <laughs> imagine clark griswold in the era of social media right. but well
0: that's exactly it like some of the stuff that they do in this movie was probably ludicrous at the time like the christmas light display but now yeah you could go on instagram and there are actual people doing this <laughs> mm-hmm. this movie seems like it predicted uh adult infantilization mm-hmm. around christmas time <laughs>
1: Yeah, it, it, it reminds me of Our Dad in the same way, too, that, like, in the end, it always kind of works out and it's always awesome. Even okay. it, even if it took you, like, a bunch of weird left turns to get there, you know? It always ends up being awesome in the end, whatever that thing is, if it's a family thing, usually.
0: Uh, here's something that I found kind of interesting as well that I'd be interested to get some feedback on. So the script for this movie, as with, um, I think, at least the first three vacation movies, was written by John Hughes, And he almost directed this film, but he was busy working on Uncle Buck. And then Chris Columbus almost directed this film as well. And apparently he met Chevy Chase twice and decided he was just like out and couldn't do it. So he left this project to go the following year direct Home Alone, also based on a John Hughes script because John Hughes in the 80s was just pounding out like Christmas comedies and just like... (laughs) screenwriter for hire kind of like jobs like this um what do you make of how rich the griswolds appear to be in this movie because in home alone the next year they live in basically the same size house and they're flying the entire family to france for christmas so they seem like they're loaded but clark is living in a house that's the same size and he doesn't have enough money in his bank account to pay for a pool if he doesn't get his Christmas bonus. Is he just that, like, reckless with his money? Like, why does he have no savings?
1: (laughs) I think it might just be one of those things that, like, doesn't make sense, you know? It's in the movie, but it's funny you bring it all up because sometimes when I'm thinking about it, I'm like, like, when I'm zooming out in my mind and looking at the house, I'm like, is that Home Alone or is that Christmas Vacation? You know? Because it, or, and, like, when I'm hearing it, in my head, I'm like, mm-hmm. is that Home Alone sounds I'm hearing or Christmas Vacation? Because there, you know, <laughs> like there's so much overlap, and uh, it makes sense all the stuff you just said that there would be. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe Kevin McAllister's dad, if it maybe if it would have like went into like a B plot of his work life, maybe it was also super shady and stressful. I don't know. You know? Yeah.
2: Maybe they worked at the same company and like that's actually what I was did. just thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin McAllister. His dad actually did get the Christmas bonus and that's how they could all go to France. Right.
0: Like a John Hughes cinematic universe. He kind of did that with his other movies anyways, with the ones he directed.
2: A lot of the old ones are all set in Shermer, Illinois, which is like a fictional suburb of Chicago. Um, yeah, I, I watched a lot of those old John Hughes movies a lot when I was a teenager, like Breakfast Club and all those Brat Pack movies. Um, so, yeah, it seems like he's always got his movies set in and around Chicago. We'll have to, like,
1: go to that scene where, like, you know, he's, sh- I don't know, shaking hands with all the different, like, big wigs. And- <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, as they're all walking <laughs> away. Yeah. It's yeah.
2: Kevin's
1: dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, slow motion. <laughs>
2: but actually, maybe maybe Kevin's mom was the one who made all the money in that family. I could see that. Mm. Yeah, she, she... And that's
0: also a possibility.
2: She definitely seemed like the, I don't know... The leader of the
1: house yeah not
2: to say that she's like yeah, and she's like a boss lady and maybe that's why she forgot kevin because she just has a lot on her plate <laughs>
0: Yeah, boss lady not a, not a fantastic mother but that's something else <laughs> yeah um yeah i found that this is a really good something that comes up on this show a lot with the movies that i talk about with the guests it's a great tv movie that you can turn this on at any point and it's probably in the middle of a good scene you can watch this movie for like 20 minutes at a time flipping through the channels and like you don't necessarily have to sit down and put it on and finish it or Mm -hmm. like within the holiday season you could watch basically the whole movie just catching like a few minutes here and there and it kind of works the same way because it is a movie that you're probably going to see next year and the year after that and the year after that like you can just keep visiting like an old friend sort of thing
1: totally Mm -hmm it it totally is that way with our family like we'll we'll be like oh we're going to put this in and everyone will be like okay we're doing it and then literally like 10 minutes later and everyone will just like scatter into other rooms and stuff and then <laughs> <laughs> but i mean it's still on and we're all still like conscious that it's on and so it kind of just becomes this thing that's happening amongst all the other family chaos and stuff
3: but like even though no one's really paying attention if anyone shuts it off like it, people get it. i was watching you know, that. i was like hey, yeah. what
1: the hell right or like just rewind it and start it again
3: yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's definitely like that
0: randy quaid's turtleneck that's a note that i have with just no other
3: okay <laughs> i think it's actually a dickie though because there's a scene yeah, where you can dickie. see it's like you can see the cut out the shape of it underneath his v-neck sweater so yeah. it's it's actually yeah. just a dickie and i i was out Classic. shopping at the mall i don't i don't go to the mall super often but i was at the mall the other day and there was like high fashion dickies so once again <laughs> christmas vacation predicting uh the trends of the future
2: <laughs> high
3: fashion dickies where were you yeah. shopping was, they weren't actually high fashion
0: it was at h&m <laughs> uh, i think
1: uh lisa and dean are are uh our older sister and her husband. I, I think that one year they wore Dickies to Christmas Eve. Yes. As, yeah. as a nod. For sure. Yeah. And the, <laughs> the moose cup as well, I think, has made its way into. I our, actually
3: uh, I, I brought this out today to show you all. Um, but I do oh, have incredible. the moose cup. Um, I got this at a Christmas gift exchange. This is uh, similar to the one that Cousin Eddie drinks from. And it's like, they have like a whole eggnog, like, i don't know punch bowl almost and then a bunch of moose cups and like i think cousin eddie accidentally like breaks a bunch or maybe chevy yeah, chase yeah. does when he's like frantic and trying to calm himself down but yeah i had to bring this out because it's, it's christmas time you know
0: <laughs> that's pretty awesome that's cool and then also in this movie chevy chase has the like tasmanian devil mug i right. love that yes. every time i oh, see yeah. that thing our when brother had office. that too
3: Right. you guys remember jason had that the Tasmanian devil cup yeah i was thinking about that the other day that's such a that's a great great mug
0: (laughs) i thought that this movie um the yuppie neighbors i think like they don't date the movie because yuppies still exist (laughs) but they give it such a nice 80s flavor like they they put a like a time stamp on the film more than anything else absolutely
2: i think uh todd and todd and margot they might yeah. be my favorite characters in this movie just because like they're in like three scenes but they're the funniest scenes i think of the whole movie i agree and uh julia louis dreyfus is just like the one of the funniest people i think i've ever seen work on film uh she's just like hilarious in this
1: yeah and i think they have a tendency to get sort of uh, forgotten as soon as the, they kind of disappear into the movie like when the movie's over you're not like that was funny but when you actually think about it you're like whoa that was actually like super awesome that they put that those two characters into the story when they didn't have to at all you know yes
2: yeah. well,
0: it's it was sort of funny i was kind of thinking of it that so this is the only vacation movie in which they're not traveling and like they're staying at home in this one And I was thinking that if this was the first movie or one of the other ones, they would be a couple like on their honeymoon that's like traveling and constantly running into them along the way. Mm -hmm.
1: It would be some
0: kind of premise like that. But instead, it's this. It's like even worse. You just live next to these people and you're (laughs) like, it's not a vacation that's being ruined. It's just your life that's ruined by living next to these people.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And like... Chevy Chase's whole shtick is like, you know, family and getting together and all this warmth and stuff and they represent like the opposite in a lot of ways, you know, <laughs> so it's kind of funny.
0: Very secular, Yeah, not at all into the holiday spirit at all.
1: Right. And they're always
2: in black, like from head to toe, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Their house is like super modern and fancy. Yeah.
0: It It is a nice house though, like I wouldn't mind living, I guess the Griswold house is like homier. Yeah. But... Who's to say? Um, okay, one last note here that I had on the movie that this still kind of just baffled me. Um, Diane Ladd playing Chevy Chase's mother in this film. She is still alive. She's 85 and Chevy Chase is 78 years old. She's seven years older than Chevy Chase
1: Wow! So she playing was, his mother she in this playing, film. Oh. She was playing up her age big time.
0: She, she was 53 when they shot this movie and Chevy Chase oh, no was... Way. 45 yeah wow Hmm.
1: because she looks like she's you know gonna die soon
0: that's what i was thinking like as i was watching it i'm like looking at the credits and recognizing some of the names and i was thinking like oh yeah this is like a lot of like old like fossils and people who were like ancient in this movie and then i was looking up the ages and a lot of these people like the uncle who smokes the cigars and stuff he was like 60 when they shot this wow. it's, like... it's
1: funny it's <laughs> looking, actually looking so through the, funny to
0: think about it's credits. kind of stressful yeah
1: <laughs> looking through the credits you almost expect there to be like a in memoriam of one of the actors who like you know passed away before the movie came out or something
0: well and so the uncle with the yeah the cigars uh William Hickey is the actor and then his wife the who raps the cat and is the like shrill voiced woman that's the voice of Betty Boop, and apparently this was her last. What? This was her last oh. film role after like a fifty-nine year career in show business, like from nineteen thirty, and then this was her last film role.
2: Holy, wow. that makes so much sense. That's, is, that like, is that like is that like Aunt Bethany? You're talking about? Yeah. Oh wow!
0: Yes, I think that would be. Yeah. Uh...
2: Holy, this is like when I found out that uh, Uncle Phil did the voice of Shredder. I was like, what? Oh yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but when you think about it, it makes so much sense.
1: Wow. She's so cute. She's like everything she does. And she's also sometimes will just say random things when she's not even on camera. But they'll like (laughs) intentionally put it in your ear. You know, like everything she says is kind of silly and really cute.
0: So I like to do some box office trivia on this show. So this is mostly just for the uh, enjoyment of the listener here. This film released December 1st, 1989, so coming up on 32 years ago, uh, next week this will be. It opened in second place to Back to the Future 2 before going to number one in its third week. Uh, So it continued to gain popularity after it came out. However, in its debut weekend, it beat out such films as Steel Magnolias, The Little Mermaid, and the Eddie Murphy directorial debut Harlem Nights. Wow. wow.
1: Back to the Future 2 is a great one too. I think I that's was, the, the best Back to the Future, I would say.
0: Okay, do we are there strong feelings uh to the contrary in this uh family here?
1: Not not here. I agree.
3: Oh, Back I, to the
0: Future 2 is it a favorite for all three?
3: I I don't think it's a favorite for mine, but it might just be because it's like I haven't watched it as much as the first one. But Julie, why do you think it's your favorite
2: um it just has a lot of the stuff that i remember being super cool when i was a kid like the hoverboard Mm. and like his you know insta fit nikes and just a lot of the scenes that i love from that that series are in the second one i think
0: it's one of the few movies that depicts the future not as a dystopia like because the future is like imperfect and back to the future too but it's a lot more like optimistic looking than if you're watching like Blade Runner or something like that you don't often see idealistic outside of like the Jetsons or like very cartoony Mm -hmm. kind of depictions yeah it's
1: pretty Uh, ideal and like it's clean and it's fun it's you know
2: but isn't that that's only at the end though right at the beginning isn't it a little little more dystopian because in the beginning Biff is like super rich Donald Trump runs the world kind of guy until... well that's
0: that's only after they well that's that's the past is again that because that's back in the 80s that's like the that
2: dark timeline isn't
0: it yeah that's the dark timeline like the future of just the regular timeline wasn't so bad with okay. like the 80s cafe and stuff
2: okay i get what you
0: saying. i don't know if we've ever spent this long getting really deep into just a completely unrelated <laughs> movie because <laughs> we've had tangents that are that are like somewhat related but that was completely out of nowhere i like that um, what about uh, Steel Magnolias? Do you have anything to say about that one?
1: I don't know if I've ever seen it. I don't,
2: I seen I seen
0: don't it. even. I don't even know Vett what Middler? it is really. I know the. T- yeah, it's not like, bunch of women. like that. Just a bunch, bunch of-, of women yeah. is how I. Chick flick. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, Pass. Yeah.
2: <laughs> That's not a. It's not a seven for seven for seven choice. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 um do any of you have any closing thoughts on christmas vacation and then um after that i've got some questions about the band
2: um i just wanted to mention that i have a, a jelly of the month certificate <laughs> so i went to see they did they did like a re-release a theatrical run of christmas vacation and i, I think it was around like 2013 or 2014 where they played it in a bunch of theaters
0: 25th anniversary, probably. Yeah.
2: yeah, that sounds right. And I went to see it at like Scotiabank Bank Theater in Saskatoon, um, and they were giving out these like glossy certificates that said "Jelly of the Month Club." As <laughs> you can like write your name on it, wow. and it had like the Christmas Vacation logo on it. And I still have it because I just like rolled it up and stuck it with my Christmas decorations. So, um, some years I take it out and like tack it to my wall at Christmas time. <laughs> like, I think, but I don't don't actually get any jelly from it.
1: I think um, it should be mentioned at least at some point in this conversation. One of my favorite scenes is when Chevy Chase is up in the attic trying to find something. I don't know what he's looking for. Something frantically. Yeah. And then I think he he's like he, get, hi- he gets trapped he, up there. Isn't he
3: hiding a Christmas gift that oh, he's maybe like, that's and then he, he ends up finding a like a anniversary gift or something that he had previously hid up there. And then yeah, he so trapped.
1: he that's right. He's hiding stuff up there, and then he gets trapped up there. And then he starts, like, going through stuff. And then he gets really cold. <laughs> he's, like, this, mm-hmm. he's got his head out that little, like, circular window thing. And he's, like, trying to, like, yeah, get, he can't figure out which side to go in. Uh, anyway, and then he ends up watching, like, the old, like, Super 8 or 8mm or 16mm or whatever. And then he's got, like, a towel on his head and a house coat. And he, he's, like, really reminiscing. And, like, that scene is, like, so great because he's, you know, he's, like, weeping watching family videos and he's like it's cute and it like he ends up in this funny outfit and it's like you know mm-hmm. it's my favorite um,
3: that's okay. some
0: of the john Hughes schmaltz coming into it like yeah, so typically yeah. the vacation films are a little more caustic and there's a little less heart than some of his other movies like home alone or anything else but that's definitely some of the like heart like tear jerking kind of John Hughes stuff that he would do a lot more in the nineties after these movies.
2: Yeah, I think a Christmas movie kinda needs that stuff. For it to feel like a Christmas movie. Yeah.
1: Then there's also the the boss and he's he's got that really like growly voice, that short the short little guy. And he Brian Doyle uh, Murray. Yeah. He I recognize his voice all the time whenever I hear it in like an animated thing or like
3: He did the
2: voice of like the bad boss, I'm pretty sure in um
1: uh,
3: Frosty the Snowman.
2: Yes, thank he- <laughs> you. no, it's like the sequel of Frosty the Snowman. What's it called? Like Frosty Returns. It's like a yeah. oh, yes. I think I know. Later what you're talking day about. cartoon. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, and he always calls
1: Chase Grizzle, Or he's like Grizzle, where he always gets his name wrong. Oh, anyway, I think the
0: moment where he thanks his boss for the Christmas card and he like turns to his underling and is like corporate cards, sir, and that the level of insult in that moment, just beautiful.
3: Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the Christmas dinner when they cut open the turkey and it just like opens up to the, like the driest (laughs) poultry you've ever seen. And it's like steaming and they're all like really trying hard to cut it and like chewing hard on it. And there's just so many funny things on the table. And also the dog under the table, who's like, yakking on a bone or something <laughs> but there's just a lot of really funny things but one thing that's like been forever a mystery for me is i think it's when when maybe aunt bethany arrives or like is it what's her husband's name is it uncle lewis is that right
0: yes i think like that's right
3: they hand some presents over and there's like this one box and it's like leaking this like mystery green stuff i don't know if she like packaged up jello salad or something in there and i've just always been like jello
0: mold they (laughs) said yeah Yeah.
3: i'm just like what was actually in there you know
2: yeah
3: just makes
2: me very curious Uh, (laughs) they show the jello on the table in the later scene right i remember it's like a a green jello ring and then she i think she puts pieces of cat food on it oh yes and then clark is like your cat eat jello and then eddie's like I don't know about the cat, but I'm sure it's it.
1: <laughs> I remember being, like, confused about that because I I took mold as in, like, mold, like, uh, growth of, like, you know, mm-hmm. like, mold in a house that you don't want. And I was, like, I didn't realize that it... It was like mold because, like, I don't know. I was like ten when I first saw it, or something.
0: No, I think that I had the exact same thing as a kid. Right. Um, and then, yeah, this the carving of the turkey. It really reminds me of this is a very specific reference, but in the first Austin Powers movie, when he's like pumping up the Nike until it explodes yeah. Yeah. in <laughs> his face.
3: I was just thinking about that before. Actually, that's so funny you mentioned. Or that.
1: there's this like old, well, not too old, but this SNL skit. I think it's from like the early 2000s, maybe with like chris farley and chris rock and then the dana what's his name anyway like dana carvey yeah i think like those crew and they have a a nike bird a nike turkey that you can buy for thanksgiving Oh, and then and then they're like pump the bird and then they're all like (laughs) families around and then they keep pumping it and then it just keeps getting bigger
0: maybe that's what i'm thinking of maybe i'm like (laughs) conflating the two ideas but I do have some questions here, uh, shifting tone a little bit. Um, as musicians, so you mentioned uh, that you have four albums out. I kind of think of it as the three albums and the soundtrack. But so you are, in addition to your um, rock music uh, recordings, are film composers, and um, is there is there a better way to describe original film composer and scorers uh
2: we wrote an original score <laughs> whatever yeah. that whatever that makes sense, we did it yeah
0: i i wanted to know if there's a movie a pre-existing movie that you would be interested in writing a new score for if you were given the opportunity you were given a budget a movie and you go in and they take all the music out and you get uh start from scratch and give it a entire new sound If there's anything that you'd be interested in taking on.
1: Oh, wow. That's a good question. Yeah. That's hard because I think all of the good movies that I can think of are good also because this music is good. Yeah. So I wouldn't want to touch that, you know, because it's already good.
0: You have to think of the best movie with the worst score. Right.
1: right. (laughs) Um, But I I don't know. That's hard for me. I don't know if I have an answer for that because all I can think of is movies with good music.
2: Yeah, I think that's kind of the nice thing about tackling it. A silent film is you're not treading over work someone else has done. Like obviously other people have written scores for Hexen and and different silent films, but there's no like definitive. It's not like you're writing another score for like a John Carpenter movie or something that already has that like, you know, quintessential music on it.
0: See, but as I hear you say that right now, I think about Halloween with like an original Gary's score that sounds incredible. I think to the listener at home, that sounds incredible. Like, why would you even suggest that without now you got to do it?
2: (laughs) There was a, there was a handful of like Halloween or or horror movies that came to my mind when you asked the question, but then I had the same thought Lenore did. Um, Like a movie like Suspiria um, has like such a cool soundtrack, but again, I I don't ever think we could improve upon it. So why would we touch it, you know, or a lot of the John Carpenter uh, movies I think have the coolest soundtrack too. And, um his soundtrack work is often just like so simple but that's part of what makes it so good yeah it doesn't Um, need
1: to be complicated to
2: be good yeah so yeah i don't know i'd be i'd be wary of approaching any of those i'm actually
1: really happy that we did the film that we did because i remember when we first i think julie bought a criterion collection on dvd of the movie once we like decided on it we'd seen a few different clips And uh, we had sort of committed to it, and then she bought the DVD, and then we went to her house, and um, I think we just put it in her living room and just kind of started slowly kind of sort of watching it for the first time. And it came with this uh, kind of, I don't know when, who did it, or who decided, but they just kind of threw a bunch of, like, Bach music over top of it, or at least seemingly Mm -hmm. so. It seemed like they just, like, randomly threw, um, like, someone with without even watching the film just like literally stamped songs one after the other or pieces after the other and I remember we were talking about how like inappropriate the music was that was on this criterion collection uh, copy and we were just like this is like begging for something better you know at least we were talking about it and so I think sometimes the music in in that specific, movie is like totally inappropriate there's people who you know watch that dvd and maybe watch it with whatever that random music is put on and i think it's like it's better without sometimes you know
3: erica
0: do you you have any Uh, thoughts about a movie you might enjoy rescoring
1: i
3: i don't know if i'd want to like if i were to rescore a movie something that i think would be really fun musically would to be would be to like redo the music in an entirely different genre so much so that it actually like changes the f- like your overall feelings about the film or like it almost like changes the storyline so like going from a movie that would be like i don't know it almost changes like the genre entirely just because maybe you put like creepier or darker music on or vice versa or something so i feel like that would be kind of a fun thing to do but i don't have any specific movies in mind but um it's just, it's like, I don't know, writing the soundtrack for Haxon was really cool because you got, like, fully immersed in it. And it, like, you start forming your own relationship with it because you watch the movie, like, 30 times all the way through. And, like, you just start, like, naming characters um, and, like, creating your own theme songs for them and stuff. And so I think it'd be really fun. Like, I would love to do another soundtrack for a movie again um because it just is like such a unique thing that comes totally from like the instrumentation you have and the group of musicians and stuff so but it'd be really fun to kind of like do a I don't know like a bizarro version of a soundtrack for a movie and just do like a total opposite and just change the genre entirely I think that'd be fun
0: (laughs) see how much you can change the context of a movie just through switching the music up yeah I think that would be cool um Let's see if this is at all of an easier question for any of you. If Is there a director who, if they came to you tomorrow and said, I would like you to score my next movie, so you don't have to change someone's music and something from the past, but you're getting to work with someone you enjoy, is there someone who you think you could write a good score for?
1: I think there's lots of answers, but I think they're cliche, so I don't want to say them. <laughs> so I'll let you guys just. um there's a
2: couple a couple directors that the movies of theirs i've seen recently um i just really love uh ari ari aster is one Mm -hmm. he did uh hereditary and midsummer um and midsummer especially was just like so visually beautiful um a movie like that would be really interesting to write music for to try to you know match the weirdness and the tension of that and then the other um director i really enjoyed is uh robert eggers who did Mm. um the lighthouse and i believe he also did the witch that's right yeah uh and the witch is awesome i love the witch the lighthouse is great too it's like it's also extremely weird um but yeah and those are all kind of like in this sort of thriller horror sort of genre so that's where i would kind of gravitate not not necessarily because that's what we've done already but just sort of, I think that's really fun to do. It's fun to make scary music.
0: I think you could do really well um, doing, well, this actually is leading into my next question, so I'll just move on to that. I think on um, your first two albums, I think on like Warm Buds and on Surf Manitou, the surf influences are more maybe upfront. And on this album, I'm hearing a lot more the Western influences and this new album get the to a nunnery produced by dallas good from the sadies it seems like the trademark sound that you've had or like the sound that you've been cultivating is still there but you're really expanding and opening in a new direction on this album and then in photos of the band that i've seen recently and stuff i feel like you're dressing in some western styles a little bit is that something that you think you're going to be doing more of on future releases? Do you think that this has been a, um, that this is, or will become like a phase and that you'll move on to something very different after this? Where do you see things going moving on with the band? I know that's a lot of questions all at once, but,
1: um, I don't think, uh, I like to hear what others say, but I don't think that it's necessarily like anything intentional that, or we're not like, usually we just try to not wear t-shirts and jeans when we play. And so, you know, so anything above and beyond that, we're like, good, you know. Um, we just I, started collecting bolos and then the, the west. The bolos. Is, yeah. yeah. I think it's sort of almost more just like a Saskatchewan thing. Like, I know that bolos aren't a Saskatchewan thing. But I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like it's like kind of a, I don't know, it's a trademark way to sort of dress up when you're not really that dressed up. Or something yeah it's like a an easy cop-out to dress up or something at least that's how i see it
2: <laughs> we've talked a little bit about how uh i think surf music and and uh certain kinds of western music are like really close cousins like spaghetti western kind of music um and we did talk a little bit while we were writing songs for this album about like um yeah spaghetti western music or like ennio morricone good bad and the ugly that kind of stuff um i think we're we all really like the drama of that type of music, and so we, you know, like to lean into that when we sort of get the chance to. Um, we also talked a bit about um, the video game Sunset Riders, which is a Super Nintendo from Super Nintendo game from the early '90s, and it has a really excellent soundtrack. If you're if you're into like sixteen uh, bit uh, video game music, it's like a Konami game. Um, and it's, yeah, it's got awesome music and, uh, there's actually a, <laughs> there's a, a band on YouTube that does like a whole bunch of covers of Sunset Rider music really? and it's like very technical kind of surf spaghetti Western music when you kind of, when you put it as a, as a, you know, when you make it for like an instrumental performance as opposed to like a video game soundtrack. Um, and so that definitely came through also, especially in the song, uh, bury me with my money. That's a direct reference to that video game so so some of those were sort of like intentional reference points that we talked about and kind of built upon um but i do also think it was sort of just like a natural extension from from writing about saskatchewan and sort of being inspired by some of the locales around us um and then also just sort of like branching out a little bit more from what would be more traditional surf music into you know something that's nearby
3: Yeah, like, something, too, I'd like to mention is that I think with the way that we've written albums so far is that there's sort of, there's sort of, like, um, like, we intentionally write an album, you know? Like, we put put thought into, like, how the songs fit together and how, like, I don't know, like, there were songs that we didn't include on this album because it just didn't really fit with everything else. And with, like, Surf Manitou, for example, that was sort of a concept album based on, manitou beach um and so and the idea of like surfing on this this landlocked salt lake you know so it's kind of like in an, an, an impossible dream whereas with get thee to an i think is more sort of based on like ideas of um like romanticized nostalgia of like our our mom and our grandmother and stuff and like living on on the prairies and sort of like a desolate place that is not that um that far off from like old western movies and stuff so i think like i think that is sort of part of the reason too why we've kind of progressed towards more like western style of music i would say for this album but um, I wouldn't say that this is a Western phase for the band. <laughs> um, I, I really like like a lot of the stuff that we've been working on stuff too. And like I think um, you know, just wearing a bolo tie doesn't make you a, a Western style no. musician. But um, it's really fun to to wear a lot of old retro retro clothes and stuff too. And I don't know. I guess yeah. those things are just kind of like working their way together.
1: <laughs> it's like one mm. of the only times that it's like not weird for me anyways to like dress up that way. Otherwise people will be like, Whoa, what's the occasion? You know? So it's kind of nice to be able to do that. You know, mm-hmm. I think too, with like the fact that like with Dallas's participation, um, you know, a lot of folks, if you, ha- if you're got your ear to the ground with Canadian music, most people know who the Sadies are like, but not everybody, of course, sometimes you say Sadies or Dallas good. And they're like, Oh, cool. Like they have no idea what you're talking mm-hmm. about. But if you know, um, I think people anticipate that this album is going to sound as much like the Garys can be like the Sadies as possible, or something. But um, so I feel like maybe there's a tendency for someone to sort of like listen for those Sadies-esque mm-hmm. Western sounds more so. Like if I don't know Dick Dale or Brian Wilson or someone would have produced our album, I think the surf notes might have come out a bit more in the average person's listening experience or something. So um, not, I'm not saying any of this is negative by any means, but I think that because Dallas has been a part of this album, I think that by extension, there's this uh, idea around the album that it's going to be more Western.
0: Moving forward, you're going to continue to try and bring in new sounds and expand the like sonic landscape of what you're going for. You think that there's going to be more experimentation and drawing on um different influences as you move forward. You plan to move forward and make more albums, I assume.
3: Yeah, totally. Like I, I think, um, at least in our experience so far as a band, it's like a lot of the musical projects that we do together tend to influence like the next thing we work on. Um, which is really exciting because it, it kind of allows you to grow and move forward as a musician and like in your art and stuff. Um, so, I like, yeah, we definitely have plans to, to do more. And we usually have, like, a running list of of ideas or concepts sort of that we want to work towards of, of, like, I don't know, song titles or, like, um, concepts or idea or, like, sounds that we like. Like, that's not uncommon for us too, to just be like, oh, I love, like, the sound of that specific thing in this person's song. And, like, I think um, the, this last album also hacks in, like, really... Um, pushed us forward in a lot of ways like using a lot of different types of effects and sounds that we hadn't used before and so I think get the to an under is like it's only natural that it'll do the same because it I think um like we have grown a lot as musicians from since that point and yeah it's just exciting to to keep keep on moving I guess
1: I could see us I could see us doing like at some point like something that was more like 80s synth kind of influence stuff because we we uh Whenever we record, there's always lots of uh, keys and synth that gets kind of popped in and hidden into things. And I think if that becomes like a... If, we, if that instrument is in our jam space more regularly, I think that will come out more in the next album. Or um, I think there's also lots of potential for us to go into more of like a sort of like wall of sound kind of girl totally. group, um, big... I don't want to say big band, but, you know, just like uh, some of that Phil Spector kind of stuff a little bit more, too, because that that comes out sometimes in, in what we do.
3: To sort I was th- listening. Oh, go on. Oh, I was just going to say to bring it back sort of towards like a Christmas theme. I think we we actually want to work towards sort of like a winter holiday Christmas album or ep of sorts so and that like i think most of those songs it's like yeah sort of working towards that like wall of sound but that it's like that stuff is kind of it's hard to achieve you know and you don't want to you don't want to put out something that you don't feel like you're fully confident in the final product of it too so um yeah so maybe that's on the on the horizon for us but what were you gonna say zach
0: oh i was gonna say um One of you, I was listening to your other podcast appearances earlier this week as I was prepping for the show, and one of you mentioned hypothetically uh, playing with Stereo Lab. And then I was imagining like droning, like Stereo Lab style. Or like, um, I was also thinking if any of you listen to the band ESG, I was thinking like bass, drum, and synth, Gary's doing like disco music. I was thinking that that would also be something interesting. (laughs) This is me just uh, daydreaming of stuff I'd like to hear. So I'll yeah. leave it to you to figure out what's going to be next. But
2: Sometimes I do that, too. I'll I'll hear a song I really like, and I'll be like, oh. Like, I was listening to, like, some 60s British rock. I think it was, like, freak, freak beat kind of music recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, this is so cool. And I was like, Erica needs to get a 12-string guitar because that's, like, such a distinct part of that sound and I was like if she had a 12 string guitar like we could totally sound like this (laughs) but maybe it's not practical for her to run out and get that just in like in the hopes that we could like I don't know do one song or like I don't you know It, it sort of has to be like organic if one of us gravitates to like a new piece of gear especially um you know the person has to be interested in exploring that but then also has to fit with what the rest of the band wants to do also so um So there's If one of you got a flute, you could be Jethro Tull. (laughs) Right. (laughs) There's a a lot of pieces that have to line up for that to happen. Not just one of us buys a flute and then all of a sudden, it's in the Gary's, you know?
0: Um, Well, I think we've kind of hit our hour here, so I don't want to use up any more of your time. Thanks to all three of you for being here. Uh, this episode is, it'll be released on December 17th. So is there anything that people will be interested to know about the band when this comes out? Anything coming up? Anything that they should keep their ears open for?
3: Well, we're playing at Winterruption in Saskatoon and Regina in January, which is exciting. Um, just recently, oh, so we're also set to go to Sweden and in February, presuming that... Um, that uh covid restrictions allow for that of course it's been rescheduled once um and we're hoping that to go there in february and recently recently announced um we are set to go to new colossus fest in new york city in march which is super exciting because we've never been to the united states and i've never been to new york i don't know if either of you guys have either right no so we're uh gonna go eat some really big slices of pizza and play a show there
2: oh, i just we should just run around downtown and like look up at big skyscrapers and go like, wow that's that's what i want to do and eat yeah eat big slices of pizza and like maybe have a rat steal my pizza and run away
1: if, if you're lucky <laughs> that's
2: what i'm imagining
3: yeah that's what's going on in 2022 for us at least <laughs>
0: Well, my, my listeners in Sweden will be very excited about that. Maybe maybe now that I've had you on the show, I'll get some listeners in Sweden if you're popular <laughs> <All> there. <right>. So, <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for
1: having us, Zach. It's been really fun to
0: chat with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess at the time that we're recording this, it's a little bit early. But uh, Merry Christmas, you three. So,
1: Likewise. Merry,
2: Merry Christmas oh, to ho, oh, oh, oh.
1: <laughs>
3: All right.
0: Erica, Julie, Lenore, thanks to all three of you.
3: Except. Thank you. Thank
2: you. Yep. Bye. So you're stuck in a cubicle with too many deadlines too. Don't you worry, cause CBC's gonna cure your winter blues. Your stress NMS, it's okay, we'll get you through. Just sit back and relax, and in front of a TV stay glued.
0: And my thanks again to the Garys for coming on the show. Erica, Lenore, and Julie were great guests, and I hope to have them back on again sometime. Once more, you can follow them on Instagram at the Gary's Band. And their latest album, Get The To A Nunnery, is available now on Grey Records. It's my favorite album of the year. I can't give it high enough recommendations. Uh, My favorite tracks would be In The Dawn, RM Of A Wolverine, and Heavy Flow. But I think that the album, top to bottom, is just fantastic. So definitely go check that out. In two weeks' time, dear listener, please come back for our New Year's Eve special It's the end of the year. Everyone's doing their top 10 lists. I decided that that would be a fun idea as well, but I'm not going to watch movies that go direct to Netflix. I'm not watching the movies that came out this year. So we're doing a top 10 of the 2010s, a decade best of list. It's you know going to be 2022. The 2010s were, you know, it's not like that was yesterday anymore. So I will be joined by returning guest Kyle Zervinsky of the Terror Table Pod. Kyle and I have been rewatching and anxiously adding and removing films from our lists and this is going to be a nail biter uh, when we finalize these lists so this will be a ton of fun if you're enjoying the show please rate review tell a friend anything that helps raise the profile of the show if there's a guest you enjoy and it gives you an idea for someone else that you'd like to hear on the show or a film that you would like to see covered formatted to fit pod at gmail.com always happy to get suggestions there thanks for listening and we'll see you in two weeks for the top 10 best of the 2010s